the value of investments can fall as well as rise and losses may be made. Hello everyone and welcome to 91's first Inside Track podcast. I am your host, Jasper Perai. The aim of the podcast is to invite investment practitioners to share their thoughts with a view to help investors. Clients tell us that sustainability and climate change is the number one topic on their investment committee agendas. Therefore, today, we will focus on how to practically invest sustainably. I'm very pleased to introduce our first guest, Indira Sabatova. Indira is an equity portfolio manager at the Mercer's Investment Solutions, and therefore she has first-hand experience of integrating sustainability at a portfolio level. Welcome, Indira. Hello, Jess. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to join you today. Brilliant. Pleasure to have you too. Let's dive straight in. Sustainability, as you know, is a rapidly evolving space and has become integral to clients' investment strategy. Perhaps, Indira, you can start by sharing your own journey and experience around how you as an organization have evolved your thinking and perhaps share an example to bring it to life. I think it would be important to know that whilst Mercer's thinking on sustainability as well as ESG integration has evolved over time, it was always a key component of our advice and has been a key component of our advice for many years. Uh, for example, ESG ratings at the manager level can date back to 2008. And in addition to that, sustainability is a critical part of Mercer investment uh, beliefs. And we, we do believe that by taking a sustainable investment approach, asset owners are more likely to create as well as preserve longer term capital as well as meet their objectives. And when we think about sustainability, I think it's important to note three key elements. Number one is integration of ESG factors. ESG factors can actually have material impact on risk-adjusted returns. And that's why we think it is important to make sure that they are integrated and considered as part of the investment process. Secondly, we think by taking a broader and longer-term perspective on risk, Uh, is likely to lead to improved risk management as well as uncover and probably lead to uncovering to new investment opportunities. And when we talk about this element, I think we could think about uh, sustainability-focused themes and trends, for example, biodiversity or climate-focused solution type of strategies. The number three would be climate change. We do believe that climate change poses a systemic risk in investment portfolios. And investors should really think about potential financial impact, not only on associated transition to a low carbon economy, uh, but also what sort of physical impact uh, different outcomes can have on their portfolio. And I think the final key element that I would highlight would be stewardship. And actually, stewardship would probably link to all three components that I have just noted. It's super important for ESG integration. It is very important for sustainability themes as well as management climate risk. If I give a very brief example, we see managers are using science-based targets when they are trying to think and build um, their climate transition frameworks. Uh, And then what they do on top of it is that they would have quite concerted efforts in terms of the engagement framework with the companies that are high emitters, but might be very early on or not yet on that transition pathway. So that engagement framework is actually quite relevant for everything. And as just you ask to maybe bring this uh, to life with an example, um, I think global listed infrastructure could be a good example in this case 
um, is another class that Mercer believes is very important from diversification perspective at the total equity portfolio level, but also it exhibits quite important uh, and attractive investment characteristics such as inflation sensitivity, uh, downside protection, and it does provide a higher dividend yield versus broader markets. And ESG integration has been super important component of active listed infrastructure investing, and this is what we have observed for years. However, um, there is no avoiding fact that building and operating infrastructure assets uh, tends to evolve, involve quite high carbon intensive activities, and of course that poses lots of concern and risk from the client's perspective because they do want to integrate sustainability as well as ESG, but also limit the exposure to climate change. But they do want to invest in this attractive asset class. So we spend actually a considerable amount of time trying to think, how can we offer exposure to this asset class while at the same time mitigating exposure to climate uh, change and climate transition? And this is where in very strong collaboration with index providers and asset managers, we actually identified that just having ESG integration in this asset class potential is not enough, especially if we look at the carbon emission one and two. Uh, it is very carbon intensive area. So we identified that actually having focused not only on just sustainability focused investment themes within the renewable infrastructure space, but also it is super important to have this forward looking uh, elements such as very strong engagement and stewardship, because this is where we can actually make a difference for the world, but also make sure that our clients and investors are not overly exposed to risks that they do not want to have, but obviously benefit from all the characteristics of the asset class. Your comment about forward-looking metrics, Indira, is very well put around ensuring that when you're investing in sustainability strategies, you are looking beyond the carbon metrics today but you're investing in the solutions, which might actually in the short term give you a slightly higher carbon footprint, but you're actually investing in the decarbonization trend and also the science-based target approach, absolutely. So taking that a level further then, a lot of investors are starting to put net zero targets at a portfolio level. Of course, achieving this objective requires additional monitoring and potentially changing the investment approach. What tips would you give to clients who are looking to invest in sustainability using your experience? Yeah, sure. I mean, this is very interesting area of the discussion, of course, and um, there is no really necessary say that there is a push that works for everyone. But I guess at taking a step back and thinking about a high level, what does work for the majority of asset owners and investors and what we should think of is, I guess the number one is uh, we do believe there is a need for having this clear and robust sustainable investment framework, starting with investment beliefs and investment philosophy. It's a very important starting point. And whatever the organizations are going to do with regards to their definition of sustainability or integration of sustainability, and then, of course, commitment has to fall back to the investment beliefs and philosophy to make sure that it's A, in line, and B, there is, of course, a buy-in from within the organization to make sure that that commitment uh, will be actually coming into practice. Second very important component of that, I would say the investment beliefs and philosophy are supported and needs to be supported by very um, by robust framework such as process, i.e. are there government, uh, governance and policies in place that actually can support uh, that philosophy and commitment to sustainability 
and then how does the organization goes around implementing it, but also monitoring um, and reporting it because this this this, this are also very important from the clients as well as regulatory perspective. So I would say clear investment philosophy believes then underpinned by a clear and robust investment process around governance, policies, monitoring, and reporting. This is probably tip number one that investors should ensure that they do have that in place. Uh, number two, I think it's quite related to what I already mentioned in terms of the carbon intensity and how we look at the world of decarbonization. I Means sustainability is not a black and white concept. Uh, there's lots of shades of gray. And I think sometimes purely relying on divestment or exclusion might actually lead to quite suboptimal financial results for the portfolios. And also those type of approaches tends to be quite backward looking in nature. So there's a lot of opportunity cost lost in that. So for example, solely relying on backward looking carbon intensity metric can actually lead investors to consider excluding companies instead of engaging with them and having a real world impact, but also maybe benefiting from the future investment opportunities. That said, I would like to know that it's super important to use those metrics and they're super helpful, but I think they always should be complemented and considered together with more forward-looking type of elements, such as, uh, as I mentioned before, active engagement and stewardship, because all those elements together, I think, can provide more robust framework in achieving sustainability uh, objectives. That's great. So you've shared two top tips there. Tip number one need for a clear investment framework. And then tip number two, sustainability isn't black and white. So clients need to move beyond divestment and exclusions. What would you say then are the common mistakes or traps to avoid for investors? I think there's so many traps, <laughs> I guess, as, as in any part of the investment world. But I think that the key one, which is probably something very, very topical and nothing new is greenwashing. It has always been there, <laughs> but I think it's been increasing exponential in terms of its presence within the industry. And I think net zero or commitment to net zero by 2050 could be one of those examples where we're hearing a lot of companies as well as asset managers uh, committing to net zero. But as you look through their frameworks, they have plans that actually not a clear plan how they are going to be achieving that. And that is a quite a massive trap. I think Having, a, again, this clear and robust framework that is focused on assessing sustainability strategies and having a clearly defined investment beliefs, which are then supported by that framework and process in place, is, is, is super important and something I would suggest investors uh, really focus on. I mean, having a deeper dive into the strategy, a deeper dive into the firm's commitment to sustainability is quite important. And to see all of those key elements that I have lighted before, beliefs, philosophy, governance, policies in place, and actually how they're going to be then monitoring and reporting on that. So it's kind of like a very important feedback loop where everything is interconnected. And I think that can potentially help them to avoid those traps. That's been very helpful and practical in terms of some of the advice in there. So that's great. I guess the final question, perhaps to end the session, is uh, if you could share some of the risks and the opportunities that you're seeing in the space from a medium to long term perspective. I guess coming back to that, starting the opening um, of this conversation is that the world of ESG and sustainability has evolved so much, and there has been such an exponential uh, evolution, especially in the past two to three years, 
we are seeing the definition of sustainability itself has changed and evolved and widened. And now it's not just pure ESG integration and ESG rating. Now we go beyond that and we look at impact investing and active ownership and stewardship and engagement uh, type of approaches. So that's a one component of it. On the, on the other side, we, we, we're seeing quite um, significant progress made in terms of accessing the data. And the data quality is improving. There's still work to do, of course, but the access to the data and data quality has improved quite substantially. And that actually allows investors as well as Mercer coming to the marketplace which with much more equipped tools to analyze those new investment opportunities, such as impact investing. And this is where we talked about sustainability themes, trends, and then looking at the active ownership, um, engagement, stewardship aside, we've seen a lot of strategies actually purely focused on that. So this is a very interesting investment opportunities that go way beyond pure ESG integration and very interesting in nature, but also have potentially quite uh, good real world outcomes. On another side, obviously, the data, access to the data is good and investors should be taking opportunity of that to make sure that they have a deeper dive into those strategies and they really understand what's underneath it. And this is where probably the risk side comes in into important consideration. And as I said before, greenwashing is so, so prevalent and increasing in its presence. And to provide an example, I would use classification as Article 6, 8, and 9 as one of those greenwashing examples that that is potential risk. There is, of course, um, a lot of benefits of what the regulation is trying to achieve through these classifications. But we also see a danger that because there is a nature of pressure that everyone would want to be classified as Article 89, but in reality, maybe there's a limited understanding what it actually means from the commitment to sustainability and integration of sustainability and actually leading to suboptimal results. And a lot of strategies not promoting environmental or social characteristics still defining themselves as Article 8 and 9 uh, strategies. And that is dangerous, both for asset management firms that are doing that, but as well as for clients who are getting into those strategies. So I would probably say the risk associated with that. And again, coming back to your framework, taking a step back and looking from everything from the higher level and then drilling down what's underneath it and understanding all the details would be important in trying to avoid those risks or at least mitigating them. That's great. Thank you, Indira. I think I think there's some very helpful and thoughtful comments in there. Listeners, we hope you found the podcast helpful. We will share contact details for Indira and myself in the podcast notes. Be sure to be in touch and please share feedback. Thank you very much. This podcast is a marketing communication and is provided for general information only and assumes a certain level of knowledge of financial markets. It is not an invitation to make an investment and should not be construed as advice. The views in this podcast are those of the contributors at the time of publication and do not necessarily reflect those of 91. In South Africa, 91 is an authorised financial services provider.